And so it was that Duenna, one of the great chiefs among the Farendal, moved by the woman's words and convinced by their logic, proclaimed that from henceforth all Farendal who did dwell or visit throughout the Sunshore lands should be bound to treat and be treated fairly by all, and that this great principle should be named for its creator, that her name would live on in the minds and voices of those who experienced her concept. And thus he did name it Justice. The Man Who Wanted Eternity Chapter 2 Seeking Justice Tanik awoke early, excited to begin his quest. He washed, dressed, and packed his bag for the journey ahead. Raincoat for bad weather, sun hat for good, and enough food for five days. He reasoned that, even though he could probably get the help he needed from one inspired, it made sense to plan for having to track down all three. And that, as well as travel there and back, would probably, worst case scenario, take him around five days. Yes, that should be sufficient. And with that, he set off on his quest to gain an exemption from death for himself, his family and his friends. He had determined to seek out justice, feeling that a being concerned with fairness would undoubtedly perceive the unreasonableness of such a nice group of people having to experience something as awful as death and would gladly intervene. The stories told that justice came from the Sunshore lands, and so, Tanik reasoned, this would be a good place to start. The people of these lands were understandably proud of such an illustrious daughter, and the shining architectural glory of their city was the Grand Court of Justice. This, he thought, is where he would find her. He sat down upon a large stone plinth at the base of an even larger stone pillar, the court's designers having decided very much against subtlety. And there he waited for justice for the rest of the morning. And the afternoon. And the evening. When the sun had gone down, and the lawyers and judges and the guilty and the innocent had all gone home, or at least gone to where would be home for the foreseeable future, Tanik stood, picked up his bag, and went to find lodgings for the night. Never mind. I'm sure I'll see her tomorrow. He really was quite the optimist. Though, unfortunately, not a clairvoyant. The next day proceeded much the same, with Tanik seated on the plinth, keeping an eye out for justice, but ultimately being disappointed. The following day was the same, as was the day after that. It would be wrong to say that Tanik became despondent, but looking at his seriously diminished food supply, he decided... I don't think I'm going to find justice here. I shall go in search of charity. I'm sure he'll be much easier to find. And, undeterred, he set off for the harbour to find a boat to take him on the next leg of his journey. The harbour was crowded as Tanik made his way towards the queue for the ticket desk. Standing in line, he noticed that it was so busy there remained not a single unclaimed surface on which prospective passengers could rest. Just as he had observed the scarcity, a space upon a low wall became vacant, 
and, in an instant, was claimed again. This time by a young man who collapsed onto it to the obvious dejection of an older man who had also made a move for the seat. Tanik's gaze travelled around the harbour. However, his attention was quickly pulled back to the wall when he saw the young man had become engaged in what seemed to be an uncomfortable and unsolicited conversation with a woman standing with her back to Tanik. Whilst the young man was obviously keen for the conversation to end, and uneasy with the increasing amount of attention he and the woman were receiving from the other travellers, the woman seemed to be becoming more animated. She was certainly becoming louder. No, I won't just drop it. He was here first. It's not fair that you took the seat. Now stand up. The young man mumbled something unintelligible and probably rather impolite. Stand up. Again, her words went unheeded. And this is when, with the most startling swiftness, she grabbed the young man's bag and ran off with it. With shouts of anger, the young man leapt up and chased after her. After a brief pause, the old man shuffled towards the seat and settled down to wait for his ship. How odd, thought Tanik. A few moments later, the young man appeared again, looking miserable and completely soaking wet. How very, very odd. It wasn't long before the woman also reappeared. In contrast, she was completely dry and was looking rather pleased with herself. Suddenly, something caught her eye, and Tanik watched as she strode across the quayside to a couple of children fighting over a packet of sweets. She knelt down beside them, and they stopped and turned to hear her speak. This exchange was much calmer than that with the seat thief, and, after a few minor attempts at and rebuffs of protestations, the tallest child hung their head, nodded, and handed the smaller child the sweets. The woman then held out her hand and received from the tallest child what appeared to be their own packet of sweets. The woman poured around half of them into her hand, returned the rest to the taller child, and was immediately accosted by a man, presumably the children's father, who seemed quite agitated and was gesticulating wildly. Unmoved, the woman calmly began eating her recently acquired bounty. This seemed to enrage the man even more. The woman said something in response, shrugged, and turned to walk away. As she did so, she took in the queue in which Tanik was waiting. Her eyes narrowed, and she began to walk towards him. Oh no, Tanik thought. Okay, okay, just stay calm. He wasn't used to dealing with odd people, and he certainly didn't want to be part of a scene. But as the woman approached, he realised she was actually heading slightly further up the queue. Curiosity replacing anxiousness, Tanik leaned out of the line to see what was going on. With the confidence of practice, an older woman, clearly possessed of a very genuinely held belief of her particular importance, shouldered her way into the queue. And, with equal confidence and obvious practice, the odd woman took her by the ear and pulled her out the other side. There followed a great disruption, as the older woman protested and threatened and cited her age as protection against such behaviour. To which the odd woman responded, Well then, 
you're old enough to know not to cut in line, aren't you? And with that, she disappeared into the crowd. Eventually, Tanik found himself at the front of the queue. He bought his ticket, found his ship's berth, and waited for the gangplank to be lowered. He'd only been waiting a few minutes when he saw a movement beside his bag. What are you doing? Shh. Nothing. Just... Shh. Well, you can come out from behind my bag and go do nothing somewhere else. <sighs> I'm hiding. Well, go hide somewhere else. I can't. Just... Please, just let me stay here for a minute. Tanik was unsure. Who are you? Shh. Who are you hiding from? Them. She nodded towards some harbour guards who were being aided in their search by the young man, the father, and the older woman from before. Ah. Well, you were being a bit odd. I was not. You were stealing people's bags and sweets and pulling old ladies' ears. First of all, I was not stealing anything. And second of all... Wait. Where'd they go? Tanik looked round and saw that the guards and the disgruntled passengers had gone. They've gone? Perfect. Right. I'll be off then. And she straightened up, stepped over his bag, and set off. She'd only gone a few steps before she spun back round. Oh yeah. And second of all, it's not odd to do the right thing, and the fact that people think it is indicates an issue with them, not with me. And off she went. Perhaps it was because he had spent the last four days thinking about justice. In fact, it was definitely because of this. That the woman's last comment struck a chord with Tanik, and he felt compelled to ask her more. Wait. What? How could stealing sweets from children be the right thing? I told you I wasn't stealing anything. The bigger child had stolen the sweets from the littler child. I was getting them back for him. But then you took half the bigger child's sweets. Yes, so he would experience what it is to have something taken from you. But... but that's just mean. No, that's justice. The victim is repaid and the perpetrator is punished. In this case, by experiencing that which they would have inflicted on another. I actually thought it evened out very well. So that's what you were doing? Dealing out justice? Yes. To children and old women and men who steal seats. Look, justice is justice, okay? Those things might not have been important to you, but they were important to that old man and that little boy and the rest of the people in that queue. I mean, it's not all life and death stuff, you know? I get in trouble when I deal with the life and death stuff. Tanik considered this, and, like most people do in these situations found himself thinking how this new information might be used to help him. She's clearly very passionate about justice. Maybe her dedication will make her more attuned to finding justice. Or maybe justice will be drawn to such an acolyte. To the woman, he said, This may sound strange, but I'm on a quest and I think you may be able to help me. I'm looking for justice herself and I think perhaps your enthusiasm and dedication to her cause might make you better able to discover her than I am. Would you be willing to help me find her? The woman looked surprised. I am Justice. Why are you looking for me? 
Seeking Justice was written, directed and edited by Gillian Massey. Tannock was played by John Michael Love. Justice was played by Karen Barkey. And the narrator was played by Gillian Massey. The writing mentor and editing assistant was Kenny Boyle. The artwork was created by Hannah Bergren and the music and sound effects were obtained from zapsplat.com. This recording was supported by the National Lottery through Creative Scotland.